0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you welcome us into your family through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that all of Scripture bears witness to Him. As we now turn to your word, may we hear your voice and may we respond to your word of grace with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a couple weeks ago, we started this series this fall called Life with God, Life with Others, and Life for the World. We're, we're trying to, to exercise some of our spiritual muscles uh, that maybe have gotten a little flabby over the last couple of years. We're, we're trying to ask ourselves, how can we get healthy, get spiritually healthy by rearranging our lives around a new set of habits and practices that leads to greater health? And we're modeling this on the person of Jesus. Jesus had three great loves in his life, his love for God, his father, his love for his spiritual community, his disciples, and his love for the world in need. And he organized his entire life around these three relationships. And so we're inviting you to pattern your life after the life of Jesus. So for each of these headings, we're looking at two basic practices that we're um, just encouraging you to consider. The first two weeks, we looked at our life with God and we looked first at being, being fully present with the church every Sunday. So good job. You, you get a, a point for that, being here today. Um, and this and last week was really the, the, the challenge for extroverts and that was uh, be fully present with God every day. That was the practice of solitude and silence with God. So this week is more going to be a challenge for introverts um, because these next two Sundays, we're talking about life with others, specifically about life with those within the family of God. Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with the men and women that he called to be his disciples. And so that's a priority for the follower of Jesus. And so these next two um, in in this category, um, can you guys bring up that slide, please? First, regularly gather with your community. That's what we're looking at today. Regularly gather with your community. And then second, next week, regularly serve and give your gifts. So to look at that first one, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Karen, Carol's going to read to us Ephesians 2, verse 13 and verses 18 through 22. So let's hear God's word.
1: Today's reading is from the second chapter of Ephesians, verses 13, then 18 through 22. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. I want you to try to think of a time when you felt like a stranger. When have you felt like a stranger? Maybe... You found yourself, kids, maybe you found yourself in a new school, you didn't know many people, or maybe you moved to a new place, a new neighborhood, maybe it was a new job, maybe a new retirement facility, uh, maybe you're an immigrant and you moved to a new country, uh, maybe you just moved to Richmond, or maybe you feel like a stranger right now in this church this morning. Or maybe none of those things are true of you, and yet you just find yourself feeling lonely and isolated. And you're not even sure why. This feeling of of, of being a stranger, of being on the outside, uh, is a is a near universal human experience. And yet, it, it does seem like it has intensified, even within the last few decades. I found this study: Cigna, the big insurance carrier, did a really um, very, very thorough study in, 19, in uh, 2020, just before the pandemic, on loneliness as a public health crisis. And what they found is that almost 50% of respondents reported sometimes or always feeling alone. It was 61% for young adults, people under the age of 30. 61%, 50% report always or feeling alone. Alone. They also noted that the experience of loneliness has doubled in half a century, in 50 years. And of course, we have no idea how this data has deeply intensified over the last two years since the pandemic. And so, y'all, we live in this really strange scenario in which we live in the most technologically advanced society in history. Um, we have more stuff, we're wealthier than ever, we have more resources than ever. We have more technology than ever. We are more connected in some ways than any humans has ever been. And yet, at the very same time, we are the loneliest group of humans that history has ever recorded. So, as I was meditating on this passage this week, I was so struck by Paul's phrase You are no longer strangers. You are no longer strangers. Just, I just want you to let that, that sink in. That this is, this is at the heart of the gospel, that you're not on the outside anymore. You're not excluded. You're not shut out. You're in. You're all the way in. You are no longer a stranger. It's so powerful to me that in this time of immense isolation, the gospel speaks so relevantly to the world that it's not just about forgiveness. It's not just about eternal life. That it is about welcome, inclusion, being brought in to the heart of things. Isn't that beautiful? To people who feel like strangers, to people who are on the outside, people who are isolated, that is the offer that you are welcome all the way into the inside. And friends, this is one of the great callings of the church. This is what we're talking about today. This is one of the things that we want to press into as a church, that we would be that kind of welcoming, inclusive, loving, deeply hospitable community that the world is desperate for right now. Paul uh, uses a very interesting Greek word to describe this community that Jesus has created through his grace. Last week, we learned the Greek word eremos. Remember that word, kids? It meant lonely place. This week, I'm teaching you a new Greek word, oikos. It's an ancient word that means yogurt. (laughs) Sorry, very bad dad joke. Um, I do not know why the yogurt company chose this word because it does not mean yogurt. Um, It means household, household. So can everybody say this word together? Oikos, let's say it. Oikos, okay, I'm gonna test you next week oikos. So the oikos, it's really interesting because if you lived, kids, if you lived in the ancient world, I don't know who you live with right now. You probably live with your mom or your dad or your mom and dad together, and maybe some siblings. Maybe some of you might live with a grandparent or something, but in in the ancient world, and actually still in many places around the world today, in places of South America and Central America and Asia and Africa, no husband and wife would ever live with just their kids. It, you live with the oikos. You live with the whole extended family. I don't know if you've ever um, seen that great movie, Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, that's the big, the, the most modern equivalent that I can think of to that. That it isn't when you have dinner. It isn't just you know a few people sitting around the table. Everybody's there, like aunties and uncles and nieces and nephews and relatives and friends and even like business associates and and neighbors. All of them included in this big extended family in a common estate. This was the oikos. And so in the ancient world, to have an oikos um, was actually not just to have a family, but to have a place of belonging and safety and refuge. Um, there weren't such a thing as elderly homes. The oikos took care of the elderly. There weren't there such a thing as a place for disabled people. The oikos took care of the, of the disabled. It was a place of the vulnerable. It was a place for the sick. If you were in an oikos, you were safe, you were secure you belonged. And so it's very powerful, don't you think, that Paul takes that that idea, that ancient idea of the oikos, and he applies it to talk about the church, that the church is now called to be the spiritual oikos, a community of belonging. He says, this is now what God has created through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You are no longer strangers. You once were Because of sin, we're cut off from God, we're cut off from family, we're like spiritual orphans, but now through Jesus, you're brought in. This verse in in verse 18 is, is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says this, for through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The whole Trinity, that Trinity that we sang about earlier, the whole Trinity is the welcome committee standing on the front porch. The Father is welcoming you. Jesus Christ has opened the way through his death. The Spirit is is beckoning you. The whole Trinity is inviting you into this big, extended, raucous oikos of God where you can find identity, belonging, protection, and a home. That's what you were made for. That's what so many of us are longing for, a place on the inside, the oikos. And here's the thing, y'all. The church, and I mean every local church, us, third family, we are called. One of the corest mission of our church is to be the oikos, an extended family centered in Jesus for each other and for the world. What would this look like? Well, let's just name a few characteristics. One is that there's a a non-selectivity to the oikos of God. You know, one quality of a family, for better or for worse, is you don't choose the people that you're family with, right? Um, You don't choose your brothers or your sisters. Maybe some of you wish that you could choose a different brother, but you can't. Um, You can't choose your parents. Sorry. Even the people you do choose, like your spouse, end up changing so much that you never end up with the person in the end that you thought you had chosen in the beginning, Right? (laughs) And so sometimes a lot in families, you kind of look around, maybe you do this at Thanksgiving or you look around and you're like, who are these people? <laughs> who are these people and how did I end up with them? But guess what? You love them, right? You love them because you know that there's something deeper that holds you together. And so it's just wonderful that when Paul talks about the church as an oikasa family, he says there's the same non-selectivity about it. You find yourself in this new spiritual family, with with new brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles that you probably never would have chosen to wanna be in a relationship with. And yet, because of something deeper, you're held together. And what is that deep thing? It is the grace of God and Jesus for you. Verse 18, Paul says, you both, you both. Do you know who he's talking to? You both, Jew and Gentile. Paul is always talking about this, Jew and Gentile. Former enemies, now brought together in the same family. Through Jesus. Now, when every time you're reading the New Testament and you hear Jew and Gentile, that's basically Paul's code for your opposite. So think about your opposite. Just picture that person in your mind right now. Who's your opposite culturally, liturgically, socially, politically? Who's your opposite? Paul's saying, guess what? He's your brother. She's probably here. He's probably here. And they're your new brother, your new sister in Christ. And this is one of the most profound marks of the new family is that you receive those who are given to you in Christ. If someone in your nuclear family is really different than you, like, you know, became a Democrat or joined the NRA or got a tattoo or, I don't know, has a social view really different than you, you wouldn't say like, oh, guess I can't be a part of this family anymore. I mean, maybe some of you have done that. I hope you haven't. But most of us say, well, we've got to work it out gotta figure out how we're gonna love one another, right? How much more should we do this in our spiritual family that will endure much, much longer through all eternity past the nuclear family, right? That's what it means to be a part of the oikos of God. There's a non-selectivity. You receive those who are given to you by Jesus. Who's the welcome committee? Not you. Henry Nolan said, Christian community is the place where the person you least want to live with is always there. Right. <laughs> so what holds us together, and we got to work at this, church family. We've got to work at this. What holds us together is not common culture or common race or common class or common politics or all the things that divide people in the world. As churches increasingly polarize, mirroring the polarization of the world, we are committed to say that what holds us together is nothing but our common experience in the grace of Jesus for us, Right? Okay, that's a non-selectivity. Another thing is, is that there's a transparency about it. I, I, I love this. Um, there was a Greek pagan writer named Lucian of Samasota, and he was writing in criticism of the early Christian community. And this is what he wrote. It's very funny. He said, their founder, the Christian's founder, persuades them that they should be like brothers and sisters to one another, and therefore they despise their own privacy and view all of their possessions as shared goods. I just thought that was so funny, despise their own privacy, because as someone who is from a big family, that is a perfect description of what it's like to be in a big family, right? No privacy, no common space, no escaping. That's transparency. There's a see-throughness in the oikos of God. And when you look at the New Testament church and you read descriptions of it in the book of Acts, you'll see that this is really how they function. They don't function as just like people who show up at a meeting once a week they actually function as a, as a family who, at times, are all up in each other's business. You know what I mean? This is why the church is so different than a club. Let's say you're in a club. Clubs are based around common interests, common activities. I actually, this week, on Thursday morning, went to a bird watching club. It's very lame, <laughs> but it's migration season, y'all. And, um, and so, when you're in a bird watching club, or when you're in a, let's say you're bird watching with some people that you share a common interest of bird watching, as you're bird watching, you don't say to the guy, hey, you know what? I really want to talk to you about who you're dating. Or can I talk to you about how you're handling your money right now? Because I really don't think it's appropriate. No, you say, like, get out of my face, man. This, we're watching birds. It's not your business. Because that's what you don't. You don't do that in clubs. Clubs are based around common interest or activity. But a family? Oh, you know it. You're all up in each other's business all the time about what you're doing, about how you're spending your money, about how you're spending your time. There's a transparency. You get what I'm saying? There's a see-throughness about it all. And you're so close to each other that you actually can see and do each other's lives and have a claim on each other's stuff. And you have a transparency and a commitment to one another. So the, the family, the church of God, is not a club. It is a family, a spiritual family in which we are meant to see each other's lives so deeply that we know what each other need even when each other need to be challenged. Okay, so there's a transparency. And finally, there's a responsibility. Paul Paul does this. He kind of, he does this a lot, actually. He shifts his metaphor in the middle of this short paragraph. He was talking about oikos. Then he suddenly talks about, like, building supplies. That's cool, Paul. It's okay. We can track with you. Verse 21 he starts talking about how in him, the whole building is joined together. You two are being built into a spiritual temple. Um, He's basically saying like, imagine the church as as a temple in which the prophets and the apostles are the the foundation and Jesus is the cornerstone. And guess who's the bricks? Us, right? We're the bricks. And it's a very powerful image because like the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell just one brick. The Holy Spirit indwells the whole building as the bricks are fitted together. And it's, And it's a very intense metaphor because you can't get much closer than being cemented to a fellow brick, right? And you take one out, the whole structure is compromised like a big Jenga stack. And so we depend on each other. We have responsibility for one another. And we take responsibility for each other's lives and for each other's welfare and for each other's well-being. And we carry each other's burdens and we bear each other's struggles. It's remarkable that in the first and second century, widows and single people and women especially single women, flourished in the early church uh, because now with Jesus, they didn't need a, to be married or have kids to be significant because they were cared for by this new spiritual oikos. That's what the church does. We take responsibility for one another in love. So if, if you're looking at this and you're just thinking like, oh my gosh, how do we do that? I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? Um, it's very difficult to experience the church in this way as a non-selective, transparent community that takes responsibility for each other. Unfortunately, often in America, we experience church as a once a week meeting with a cool band and a good talk. Um, Church has often become a place where experts put on exciting events where we come to receive personal spiritual goods. And with all due respect, that does not create disciples, that creates spiritual consumers who are not following in the way of Jesus. And so we need more than that, right? We need more than that if we're gonna survive in this lonely world. As important as this gathering, this worship gathering is, and I hope you know how important I think that is. That was practice number one, remember? The weekly worship gathering. It's kind of like the queen on the chessboard. Like it it may, that worship gathering, it may be a very important piece, maybe the most important piece, but you can't win the game with just the queen. And we're not gonna survive in the world. If you just show up once a week to worship service, If this is your only experience of church, and if you, maybe even you like know a couple people and you give your money, but you're not deeply sharing your life in a transparent way in which you're being held responsible and you're responsible for others, then you just are gonna die spiritually. You're not gonna flourish in this world. We need this, we need each other. So how are we gonna do that? And some of you might even like have tried to do this here at Third and you're like, you know, it didn't work here because I haven't found this church to be like that. I understand. Bonhoeffer said, disillusionment with the church is not the beginning, but is not the end, but the beginning of Christian community. Because only then do you realize what a bunch of broken sinners we are and how desperately we need grace. We are broken sinners who need grace if we're gonna do this, friends, if we're gonna live this out together. We need each other's help. We need God's help. We need the Spirit's power. How are we gonna practice this together in the coming years? Especially as we move on our short-term mission trip to Regency and we don't have a building. We're gonna have to do this more than ever. So let me just close with a few tips um, and, and even mention a few ways I see you all doing this because so many of you are doing it already. One, um, get into a group or some smaller form of community. Um, we really work hard to do this for you. This is why we invented the whole parish idea of church because we knew it's easy to feel like a stranger in a church with more than 1,000 people but you can feel less like a stranger if you know that there's a much smaller community. There's 12 geographic parishes with a couple hundred people from the church in each of those areas, and we know that can make a bigger church feel smaller. We have lots of groups available, uh, whether it's parish specific groups or men's or women's groups. Um, We just want to encourage you to reach out. Um, Elizabeth, who um, spoke earlier, Elizabeth can help you. Becky, Bowers can help you. You can reach directly out to, you can find out which parish you live in and reach directly out to the elder or the deacon that is overseeing your area and ask them, say, I need to get connected. Can you tell me how? So we really want, we hope, we urge that whether it's a parish group or a women's Bible study or even joining the choir, that you would do everything that we can to help you get into a group because that's the way that Christian transformation happens. A second thing um, is to take a risk To go deeper, it's very possible to be in a Bible study, and for it not to be a spiritual family, but to be a bunch of strangers who are studying the Bible together. And so we're called to take it deeper, right? We're called to take it take it deeper. Uh, The church is not a hospital for sinners. I mean, the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a trophy case for saints. And yet, I know that sometimes the church can feel really fake, because the spirit of religion tempts us to hide what is really going on in our lives. Let's not do that. Let's not sponge paint over the pain and raw sin of our lives, but let's be real. Take a risk to go deeper. We can be honest about our pain and struggles. We can be seek, seek to create safe spaces so other people can share their struggles and pain. You can learn to ask better questions like, is there something going on in your life that I can help carry with you? What can I pray for you about? Have you, how have you experienced God recently? Our par- one parish group has the practice of each time they meet, a, pers- a different person shares their personal story about the- how they've experienced God's love and grace for them. So you'll-, you'll never grow as a Christian unless there are people in your life that who know your sin and your struggles, the big ones and the small ones, the hidden ones, and you've given permission to ask you about it, to get in your business, and to carry your burdens with you. Take a risk to go deep. A third is to share your life. So many of the commands in the New Testament are, are one another commands. Love one another. Share with one another. Practice hospitality to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Forgive one another. This is not a vision of church as a once-a-week meeting. This is a vision of a church in which people are living a shared life of frequency, spontaneity, availability, proximity. It suggests that we're living such a shared life that there is opportunity to hurt one another. Henry Nouwen said you're not really in community until you have been a pain in the neck to each other. And that really only happens when you're in a shared life. So again, our parish life is designed to help you facilitate this so that you can begin to know the people from the church who live around you. And you can run into them at the grocery store and you can borrow a cup of sugar and you can get help with your kids. I love to see how some of you experiment with this. Um, Jesse Allen um, said that their family cannot add anything new to their schedule. And so they just invite people to do what they're already doing going to the park, going to the grocery store. Um, Lila and Patrick Hiltz are in the Northside Parish. They do a monthly Spaghetti Sunday. They invite their parish group, church friends, and other close friends, just kind of a drop by if you, if you can. Grove Parish just started a parish in the park every third Sunday, come play pickleball. Uh, Susan Drumright, one of our parish elders, calls people in her parish to ask them how. She can pray for them every week. She goes on walks with people. She's sick now and cannot leave her house, and so she every person that brings her food, she asks them how she can pray for them. Share your life. And finally, I would say seek the stranger. Um, an author named Rebecca McLaughlin wrote an article in Christianity Today that I read called, Why I Don't Sit With My Husband in Church. She and her husband often get asked if there was something wrong in their marriage because they'd never sit with each other. Um, and she said, no, this is our strategy, to seek the stranger. Um, you know, they're putting the needs of the spiritual family in that particular hour above the needs of the nuclear family. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm just saying that the two of them feel called to just be scanning, 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 scanning for the stranger, scanning for the outsider, scanning for anyone that looks like they might be different or in some ways might feel alone. Can we get serious, y'all? Can we get serious about putting the comfort and the welcome of others above ourselves? Can we get serious when we're here? Can we get serious in our neighborhoods? Can we get serious when we go to Regency? And there's gonna be a whole lot of people that are very different than ourselves. Can we be people who seek the stranger as Jesus sought us? So as we come to this table, I wanna invite you again of the welcome committee, the Trinity. Through Christ, we have access to the Father by one spirit. The whole Trinity is at this table saying, come on in. Come on into the table. Come on into the feast, come on into the oikos of God. And the path to this table, right at the center of it, is the death of Jesus Christ for us. He became the stranger. He was excluded that we can be included. He was cast out that we can be brought in. He was disowned that we can be sons and daughters. The whole Trinity right now, right here at this table says, the way is open. Would you come on in to the heart of it all? Let's pray. Father, thank you that through Christ we have access to you by the Spirit. Thank you that you've opened the oikos to us. We pray that we would be those who work hard to be that oikos for each other and for our neighbors so that we might extend the hospitality that we have received to the people around us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.